Amen. It all begins with Jesus, does it not? I mean, that's the reason why I'm here. Can we just give it up for Jesus, please? Let's wake up, everybody. That's why we're here. We don't just come in to sing some songs and just come in to listen to a message and just check a box on Sunday morning. Well, I made it in. I'll take a picture. I'll add, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure that it says at Dublin Bible Church so my mom knows where I, so my mom knows I was at church. Instead, we come here to glorify Jesus. Amen? That's why we're here. We're not here to even glorify ourselves and to sing our favorite song or to hear our favorite message. We are here. The reason why this, this acreage is here, the reason why this building is here, The reason why I am here is to promote and proclaim the message and the gospel of Jesus Christ for his glory alone. That's why I'm here, and I hope that's why you're here. If not, wake up, because that's why you're here, all right? So we are in week seven of this series called Markers, and we've camped out here intentionally. Now, I literally could have made this series like years long, but I made it seven weeks long, and we'll probably touch some of these things maybe even next year. But what we've said all along and in answering um, some questions all along is we said that we should have markers in our life because spiritual growth or spiritual life isn't gray. It is in full color. It's in full view. You will have markers if you are in Christ or not in Christ. It's not a mystery. It's not a mystical. Your life will verify if you're one of God's own. So the question that we've wrestled with through all these weeks is this, does my life verify that I'm one of God's own? Does my life verify that I'm one of God's own? Not does my mama's life or my mama's faith verify that I'm one of God's own or my wife or whoever the spiritual person is or, oh, my pastor seems like he's really together. Um, I'm going to act upon his faith. Does my life verify that I'm one of God's own? And this, this question comes with a level of, hap- of just of heaviness because it has to sit like largely on your shoulders and you have to wrestle with this because you can live your life for you and think you're doing it for God. So I've just highlighted seven markers so you would know the truth about you. So you know the truth about you. I have this friend... Maybe you do too, uh, a friend like this. I, I have this friend, it's actually Marla and I have a friend. Um, she doesn't live here, but she's like very outspoken. Does anyone have an outspoken friend? Anyone? Like outspoken. It's like this person, they're fun to be around, and yet you're nervous because you have absolutely no idea what's going to be said next. So usually when you get around an, an outspoken person, it starts like this. They say something and you're like, oh my goodness, that's funny. But then the more you think about it, the more you're like, I shouldn't laugh about that. That's bad. Like, and that this person would be outspoken. Some of you, look around, look around. Some of you are those people. And I, when I said, do you know anyone that's outspoken? They actually thought of you. Think about that. But uh, this, this friend that Marlon and I have, she's very outspoken. It's like whatever everybody else is thinking but would not dare to say, she jumps in and just says it. She's like, well, nobody else is going to say it. So she just throws it in there. And we're like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe you just said that. It's true. But I can't believe you said it like out loud for everybody. Let me ask you another question. Do you know anybody who's outspoken for their faith? Like, I mean, it's one thing to be outspoken, to say things you ought not to say. Everybody has someone who comes to mind when it comes to that. But do you have anyone in your midst, not even necessarily in this room, but in your life, who you would say, wow, they are outspoken about their faith. Like, they lead in with this. It's like, if they just cannot wait to get to a spiritual conversation. The person I highlighted in the 915, and I'll highlight now, 
is David Yoder's dad. If you've ever met Mr. Dave, he's like, he just has the joy of the Lord all over his face. He's smiling and he's happy. Some of you work with him, you know, absolutely, you know, that's the way he is. It's just a day-to-day thing. He just has the joy of the Lord. I remember the first time, I think the first time that I, I met him was actually over a meal. And I remember just sitting, listening to him and he would just tell stories and it was so encouraging. I was like, I like this dude. Like it is good. Like being around him, he's just so encouraging. Like I need more of Mr. Dave in my life. He's very outspoken. He's always just waiting to talk about Jesus. Jesus is is just on the tip of his tongue. You ask him something, it's going to get to a spiritual conversation. Mr. Dave is awesome. We all need Mr. Dave's in our lives. And yet, if we're really honest, one of the things that we find difficult in our life is being outspoken about our own faith. Maybe even in situations, we're put in situations where I'm, I can't like push this off on like the, the most spiritual person in the room because I am that person. And yet you are that person and yet you are put in a situation where you're like, I've got to say something about my faith. And you wrestle with that. And maybe sometimes you're disobedient. Maybe sometimes you're passive. Maybe sometimes you're just silent. In the times that you should have said something, you said nothing. It's challenging, is it not? Because we all, if you're a follower of Jesus, we, we all have opportunities. And God, I believe, intentionally gives us opportunities to share our faith with others. Are you somebody who's outspoken about your faith? The bottom line for today is this. A true believer is to be unashamed and confident about the hope of Christ's return and living a life of righteousness is to be unashamed, which means that because we have no shame in Christ, those who are in Christ, we are not condemned. There's no shame if you're in Christ. And because of that, we can be unashamed in our relationships. We can be unashamed and we can share the truth with those around us. We can do so with a confidence and with a boldness that we are children of God. See, I want to challenge you with this, this bit of truth You see, there's some bad theology that's been woven through our day. And some of this bad theology, which I'm going to get to in just a minute, has left us silent and passive. And honestly, the way it appears to the watching world, it appears that we're hopeless. So even though you may have your hope in Christ, we can live in such a way that it appears that we are hopeless. And it's in these situations rooted in a bad theology that we find ourselves to be passive and just say, ah, I just don't need to say anything about Jesus in this situation. Or we find ourselves just silent in times that we should speak. Perhaps it's in this situation, we just appear to be voiceless, but God has given you a voice. And yet I just want to challenge you with this question. If you cannot stand in confidence when face-to-face with unholy people, how will you be able to stand face-to-face with the holy God? I mean, if you can't stand in confidence in front of uh, unholy people, how in the world do you think that you're going to be able to have the faith that you're going to have something to offer God when you have to address him face-to-face because newsflash, that day's coming. We will all stand before God. As believers or unbelievers, we will stand before God. And if you can't stand in confidence when face-to-face with unholy people, I just, I'm not, I'm not saying you need to doubt your salvation, but I just believe you should ask yourself this question. How will you be able to stand face-to-face with the holy God? What grounds are you going to be standing on? What grounds are you going to be able to be standing on? See, the, rude, the bad theology that I believe has been 
woven through. We can, we can agree to disagree on this. But I believe some of the bad theology has been woven through cultural Christianity, which I think is, is not a true form of Christianity, is this bit of theology. Preach the gospel always. If necessary, use words. Preach the gospel always, if necessary, use words. And yet this cultural Christianity marries up really well with this because we can live under the illusion that I can just show people that I'm a follower of Jesus without telling them that I'm a follower of Jesus. Or I can just give to this cause and I'll say, yes, they're going to know that I'm a Christian because I, I gave to save those puppies. Like that's the thought. It's like, well, I just give to this cause and they're going to see that I'm just a generally good person. So if I'm just a generally good person, then they're going to suspect that I'm a Christian. This is not even true. What you see on the screen right now. Sure, preach the gospel always. But sometimes it's absolutely necessary to use words. All of this is rooted in a type of a social or a humanitarian gospel, which is not really the gospel at all. Uh, this all is rooted in this idea that I can be comfortable in my faith and I can just rely upon the professionals to share Jesus with my friends. Or I can just, I can just rely upon somebody else. And to, they're just going to see that I'm a Christian by what I do instead of boldly declaring what I believe and where my hope lies. You see, they preach the gospel always and if necessary, use words is not biblically accurate. It's rooted in a social gospel and a humanitarian gospel. And it's rooted in this, humanism. Humanism and the chief end of being within humanism is the happiness of man. I don't want to unnecessarily step on your toes, but I may have to necessarily step on your toes. You picking up what I'm putting down? You ready? Some of you have lived under the false truth that your goal as parents is to make your kids happy. That's rooted in humanism. And, and parents, look at me. Parents, if you're not a parent, you can look at the ceiling. But parents, look at me, right? So here's the thing, parents. You don't have enough money or time to make your kids happy all the time. You don't. You don't have enough money or time to make your kids happy all the time. So, which means you're going to have to make your kids do things they don't want to do. Because it's not a matter of their happiness. It's a matter of the glory of God. If you're a follower of Jesus, I mean, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you, you're honestly, you're kind of living in the humanism thing. That's all you have. I'm just being honest. But if you've given your life to Jesus and maybe you've, you've listened to these other six markers from this series and you're like, yes, my life verifies that I'm one of God's own. Then here's the truth about you. You're to be living out the gospel. And the chief end of being, if you're living out the gospel, is the glory of God, not the happiness of man, not the happiness of you, not the happiness of your spouse. It's not. The chief end of being, if you're living out the gospel, if the gospel is alive in you, if the gospel has changed you and changing you is the glory of God, which means sometimes if you live under the banner of the glory of God, it's not going to appear to be something that makes everybody under you so happy, which means you're going to have to put your kids in situations where you make them do things that they don't want to do. Uh, newsflash, you're the parents. Do it. 
And yet, even now, if you're not a parent, now everybody can look at me. Stop looking at the ceiling. That was weird looking at you looking at the ceiling. That was a first. Here's the thing. The tendency, even within your marriage, and some of you adults have given your friends permission to divorce simply because they weren't happy. That is unbiblical. If happiness is the bottom line goal for your life, it is not honoring to God. It's not honoring to people. And God sees that as disobedience, either willful, most likely willful, disobedience. We are to live out the gospel as children of God under the banner of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of being set free from sins to share our faith and confidence with the world around us because the chief end of our being is the glory of God, not the happiness of man. I ran into this, this quote from a book I haven't read, but um, not that I'm gonna recommend the book, but this quote really spoke into this idea. Christian Buckley and Ryan Dobson wrote a book called Humanitarian Jesus, and as the name implies, you'll know what it's about. It's about the social gospel and, and all of that. And they're quoting Franklin Graham, somebody I respect, quoting um, Franklin Graham, and he said this. He says, I hear youth today talk about raising money to go and help people in Africa for a week or to go and rock AIDS babies for a few days. But if there's no purpose in their work other than the exper to experience international travel or have a story to tell, but, or if uh, their only purpose is to go, if their help is not motivated by the gospel message, their works will burn in the fire of eternity. Then he continues with this. If we do not proclaim Christ to the lost, what have we really accomplished? We can go out and do a bunch of good things. But if we don't have a confidence in our faith that we will step up and that we will be the voice of the gospel, if we will just sacrifice and just subdue ourselves into doing good works, what good will we really do in the world? I mean, we can go out and, and we could mobilize. I know this church, we could do this. We could mobilize somebody to send you out to a desert somewhere. And maybe on that, explore, you know, that exploration into the desert, you would find some rare plant and a root that would cure cancer. And somehow in a lab, you could make it multiply. Okay, we would all agree that would be a pretty awesome thing, right? Would we all agree on that? Shake your head. If, yeah, we would, that, that's awesome. But if we go out and we find this rare root and this rare plant and we go off in the desert, but all we do is cure cancer, but we don't share the gospel, what have we done? I mean, if, if we were smart enough, connected enough, where we could go out and we could fix all of the world's economic problems, that would be pretty stinking awesome. And maybe we could even start with our country's national debt. Wow. Like if we could do that, some of you may be smart enough. I am not. We would have to collaborate on this. But if we did all that and we fixed all of the, the, the nation's financial issues, but if we did not share the gospel, what eternal difference would we have made? What would we have made? None. We would have instead made people happy instead of seeking the greater good, which is the glorification of God. 
Now, as you go in your Bible to 1 John, 1 John 2, 28 through 33 is where we're going to be. But I want to give you this charge first from 1 Peter. I'm just going to read it to you. You don't have to flip there. But I want to, I want, before we jump into our main passage, I want us to, to just listen to what 1 Peter 3 says about what our response is supposed to be. And then what we're going to see is we're going to see how what Peter says in 1 Peter 3, and we're actually going to go back into 1 Peter at the end of this talk. But in 1 Peter 3, we're going to see how what he says about our confidence in our words. And then we're going to see how that relates to And what John says, how abiding and continuing our walk as children of God, how that then connects with the boldness we're supposed to have in our confidence in our words. So here's 1 Peter 3, 13. Who's going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared. Listen to what he says. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared. Which means, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the markers of being a follower of Jesus. You are to always be prepared. Be ready. But the next two words are difficult for some. He says, but do this with gentleness and respect. Some of you have the... the, the gift, the spiritual gift of evangelism. And you just can't wait to evangelize, but you evangelize like whack-a-mole. You're like, you're like, bam, 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 bam. I told you about Jesus. I don't know why I didn't come to the Lord. It's because you offended everybody in the office. That's why they didn't come to the Lord. Now they're, they're mad at God. They're more mad at God. They're certainly mad at you. And now they're not going to listen to you because you view yourself as irrational and unrelatable. But instead what Peter says, again, he says, do this with gentleness and respect, respecting the person you're talking to. Then he continues on with this. He says, it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. It's, it's better to suffer for doing good, to, for doing the right thing, than suffer for evil. We would all agree on that, surely. Now, so what we're going to see is what John says about how abiding affects our confidence in declaring the hope that we profess. So let's go into our main passage. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And this is what we are, John says. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, verse 2, now we are children of God and what we will be has not been yet made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. That's going to be a glorious day. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. I believe firmly the Lord blesses the reading of his word. My hope is also to glorify him with the rest of my words in regards to his word. In this passage, 
what we're going to see and we're going to camp out on and drill down on is three main words. They all begin with C. It just worked out that way. It isn't like I was trying to be nifty, okay? I think I'm a little bit more creative than that, maybe. You can ask AJ to verify one way or the other. But the three words we're going to drill down on are children. See that right here in verse 28. So the word children. Then the next one is the word continue. We're just going to look at this for a minute. And then the word confident or confidence. So we're going to drill down on these. Um, if you're somebody who outlines what I preach, um, I just teed that up for you real nice. So you can do with it as you wish. But first, what I want to do is it's going to seem a little odd for a second, but I'm going to explain it in just a moment. I just read um, from the New International Version, which is not a verse-by-verse translation of the Bible. This is a verse-by-verse translation of the Bible. This one is um, verse 28 and 29. This one comes from the ESV, English Standard Version, and I'll tell you why this matters. Don't allow your eyes to glass over this matters, okay? We're going to get here. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. You're still not convinced. I see a look in your face. You're like, yeah, sounds a lot like the other one. It does. But there's a couple subtle differences. The, the first difference I want to show you is the English Standard Version, it being a verse by verse, it uses the two words, little children, where the NIV just said children. If you have an NIV in your hands, look at it, it just says children. The, there's two ways that the word children are translated in the Greek language. And out of the two different ways, there's some confusion, even about this passage, but I believe this is, this is the intent, John's intent in writing here. Um, the little children being verse by verse, it really drills down on the idea of either they are baby Christians, they're either baby Christians, this isn't like a metaphor, like just saying they're, 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 they're not just talking about kids. He's either talking about baby Christians or he's talking about people who think they're Christians, but they don't have the spirit of God living in them. And this you kind of see in the context and flow of that passage, even before this one. So to me, it's important that, that we drill down on such things because John is talking about people and those people might be you. He says, little children. So he says, he's, he's referring to them with this tender word of technia. He's, or technia is one of the two ways. It's pedia or technia is the way that it's translated. Technia is the root word of this. And he's responding to, or he's, he's hoping that we would respond to his tenderness and saying, children, little children. He says, but it may be just that you don't understand. It could be that, that you don't have the spirit of God living in you and you just don't have the marker of abiding in the spirit like AJ talked about brilliantly last week in his talk. That you don't have, you're not abiding in the spirit. You don't have the spirit of God in you. And yet John's speaking to his original audience and to us. He's saying either baby Christians, either you're just starting out or you're acting as if you're just starting out or you haven't even started your faith journey at all. So he's addressing us, and I highlight this word, so we bring our attention to even what it says in the rest of 1 John. And I want to add in 
this passage from 1 John 4, 9 through 11. Y'all need to read 1 John. It's so, so good and so practical and so helpful. So many other markers that I, I haven't even had a chance to address. But this is what he says, and this is how you become a child of God. This is how you become a child of God. This is how God showed his love among us that he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Which means that not everybody's going to, that we might. Some will, some won't. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's what the word says. And what God is saying to us this morning is this. You, when you are born... You are not born a child of God. When you are born, you are born a child of wrath. And like I talked about and taught you a couple weeks ago, because we're born of children of wrath, that we have a sin nature, a nature that, that, is, that we are dead in our sins. That's what Paul wrote. We are dead in our sins and transgressions. We needed the, the initiation of God to help us to have faith. And then our response is, is to respond to the faith that God initiates. It's initiated because God the Father showed his love among us that he sent his one and only son into the world. That we might live through him. That's the offer of salvation. And maybe right now in your seats, you're hearing something for the very first time and you're like, I don't even know that I'm saved. I, I think I might still be a child of wrath. I want you to come and talk to me at the end of this sermon. I want to show you scripturally, I believe what God's doing in your heart and, and how you can go where it is that I believe God is leaving or leading you. But you see, you become a child of God when you accept Christ as Savior and Lord of your life. Then you're no longer a child of wrath. Then you're a child of God. The second word we're going to drill down into. We started with the word children. Now we're going to drill down into the word continue. This word continue in the NIV is the word abide in the ESV, which connects exactly what AJ talked about last week. The word continue in, in, in the Greek, in the original Greek, it is in the present tense, which means it's ongoing. And also, it means it requires action. Here's why that's important. Here's why that's important. You can't have a stagnant faith and be in Christ. To continue in him means it's going to be an ongoing process that requires something of you. I'm going to illustrate it in this way. I brought, had Brian, asked Brian to come up. Brian illustrated with this mirror I took out of my living room. Shh, don't tell Marla. She'll find out later. Right? So, no, I don't need side level. I need to, could you, here, I'll, I'll direct you up a little bit, up a little. No, 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 up just a little bit, a little. Perfect. No, 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 there you go. I can't see your face. That's perfect. Um, awesome. So, all right. So, so here's the thing. You do this. You have a mirror. It's something like this. You have a mirror. And here's one thing that I know about everybody looking in the mirror. When you get farther away from the mirror, it's like, wow, I look good. Could you lower it just a little bit? Perfect. Man, I even look, th that's like a thin mirror. Anyone want a thin mirror like at the house? You want that? Every mirror is. If you get back from a distance, like everything just looks good. 
It just looks, from a distance, everything looks good. But, I mean, don't strut your, your, your stuff too much because you know this, as soon as you get a little bit closer, you're like, well, I didn't know, where did that scar come from? What is that? Then you get closer and closer and closer and closer and closer and closer, and you're like, oh my, whose face is this? Like, then you can actually see every pore. I've got to do something about that. I mean, take me to, so I don't know, I need to do something about that. The closer you get, the more obvious your imperfections. Thanks, Brian. The closer that I got to the mirror, the more I could see my imperfections. The more that you continue in your walk with God, the more you abide is the closer you get to God and the more he's going to reveal to you the flaws and imperfections in your life. Now, here's the surprising part. And it's good. Because you and I need it. You and I need to abide in Christ in such a way that when we get closer and closer and closer to God, we continue and we abide. We need that because then what we can do is then we go back to the gospel and say, I know that I'm forgiven of these sins. I'm continuing in my walk with you. Jesus, please help me to help me to address this issue in my life. Holy Spirit of God, give me the power to overcome this in my life. I know this to be true too. Declarations of faith and loyalty to Christ will always, you can underline that, always be proved or disproved by what you do or don't do. Always. There's no hiding this. You're, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm declaring, oh, I'm a Christian. I put a verse up on my social media page. I send up praying hand emojis to my friends when they ask for prayer. I'm holy now, right? There you go. You like that? That was good. That's weird, isn't it? I'm not going to do that anymore. That was really weird. But these declarations of faith and loyalty to Christ will always be proved or disproved by what you do or don't do. So the answer of, oh, am I continuing my walk with God? You will always be verified by what you do or don't do. Always. Am I abiding in Christ? Am I glorifying, am I glorifying Jesus? Am I living out the gospel? Am I seeking my own happiness? Am I hiding from my responsibility to share Jesus with my friends? Declarations of faith and loyalty to Christ will always be proved or disproved by what you do or don't do. The third thing we're going to drill down on. Started with children. Went to the second one. Second one being continue. Now we're on confident or confidence. It says it both in the NIV and the ESV. We gave you the Definition of confident, right, from my software. Being confident is the trait of being willing to undertake activities that involve risk and danger. Guys are excited by this right now. Like, yes. Okay, now let's get to what it's talking about. Especially that involved being honest and straightforward in attitude and speech. Let me preface this idea of confidence or being confident. It doesn't mean doing stupid we do that well enough all by ourselves. Guys, we are the worst at this. Hey, try this. Take a picture of this. I can do it. We tend to do this. I'll illustrate it in a humiliating way. Does everyone know what a garden rake is? Garden rake. If you, 
Just so I'm not alone. Raise your hand if you know what a garden rake. Thank you. I'm not alone. Garden rake. Garden rake. In case you don't know what a garden rake is, I've got some yard work to do. I'll show you. Um, and I'll just tell you for now. A garden rake has the, the actual rake part is hard. It's firm. It's not like a leaf rake. And then it just kind of goes up at an angle. And then there's the handle. Well, I had this garden rake. This was as an adult. It was years ago as I just had this garden rake. And I was just pressing on it. What happens when you press on it? It moves. It does. I just I pressed on it. I was like, that's pretty fun. That's cool. So then I let it go and went back down. I was like, easy. Like, this is no big deal. Got a little bit too sure of myself. Wham, bam, bam. And it hit me right in the forehead. Right? I think we all would agree that's just stupid. Right? Can we agree with that? That's just stupid. When when John is talking about the word confident, he's not talking about in the word just to do stupid because we do stupid all by ourselves. He's saying being confident in the hope that we profess and our, our hope that we profess should be in Christ. And then he even mentions here in verse 28 about the second coming of Jesus. So he's not just leaving us here. We're not just living our lives for the glory of ourselves to seek our own happiness and just like dying and going to the ground one day. It's like, no, Jesus is coming again. Amen. He's coming again, so we live with assurance of the hope and the confidence that he's coming again. He's not leaving us. And get this, look, look in, in your Bible also that we are without shame, which means that he doesn't look at, if you're a Christian, means he doesn't look if, with you as if ashamed of you. Like, I can't believe they did it again. I, I'm sure, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely sure that God has never said, bless your heart to you. I'm positive. I mean, I don't want to necessarily speak for God, but I just don't think that's part of God's vernacular. Right? So, this confidence leads us in some directions. Illustrate it this way. Uh, a couple weeks ago, family and I, we went to Illinois I want to tell you the difference between northern hospitality and southern hospitality. I'm going to tell you right now. You know southern hospitality, right? All right. Yeah, sure. That was good. That was southern to a T. He's drinking sweet tea over here, I can tell. Um, so we were up, up north, and, you know, here in the south, the, the different, I mean, if you're driving, like, you're just kicking it. No, this is being videoed. So we're going to, you're, if you're at 10-2 and you're driving, right? You're driving and you see somebody, somebody that you know or don't know, what do you do? Show me what you do. There you go. Look at, that was nice. And he's like, that's right. Deuces, whatever you do. Like, if you're cool, like, that's what you do, right? You just do this and, hey, how you doing? I don't know. You're a stranger. You drive a truck, a car. You're on a bike, a motorcycle. Neat. It's a Harley. Like, whatever. You just, that's what you do. In the north, they do it a little bit different. In the north, you drive down the road. That's all they do. That's it. That, that's it. And literally, I'm like, I'm like total, I'm not all engulfed into the Southern thing yet, but y'all, I'm working on it. You know what I mean? I'm trying. And uh, you saw that. I was, I was reaching. It was low-hanging fruit. So, um, but when I, I literally, I noticed this, we're driving down the road and I, I like waved at somebody and he's like 10 and 2, locked and loaded. Like, I'm not moving. I was like, seriously, that, like, you really, you need to go talk to somebody. Like, that's an issue. Like, you're way too serious about everything in life when driving. 
like you're going to get groceries or something. So it was weird. I tell you that to tell you this. As much as I love Southern hospitality, some parts of Southern hospitality have settled for a be nice culture. And what I mean is this. You will never tell somebody the truth. You'll never act in confidence of your walk with God. And you're simply afraid to tell somebody the truth because you're settling for being nice. And yet, we're not called to be nice. We're called to be good. And sometimes the the most good you can do is to tell somebody the truth about themselves. But we, we can live in such a way that we're just gonna settle for being nice. I'm just gonna be nice. And sure, I mean, somebody may, somebody may do something crazy. Somebody may like put something that's just like totally, somebody who's in, they say they're in Christ and they put something off the wall in their social media feed. You just send up a praying hands emoji, praying for you, right? Instead of actually calling them or DMing them and saying, can we talk because there's some things that I see in your life that just don't match what you profess. There's some things that just don't match. When we do that, when we settle for the be nice side of our culture, we're actually acting as if we are ashamed of Christ because we're settling for their happiness and not the glory of God. So it's not a matter of doing stupid. We do that all by ourselves but it's a matter of being confident. This confidence will lead us into a boldness of prayer, a boldness in our words, a boldness to display a righteousness with the world around us, even if that means we live differently than other people, even if we, have, um, we, we take uh, our faith seriously and we listen to God and it makes us, literally makes us or puts us in situations that are awkward where we have to depend on God. People like Esther, um, you can find this in Esther 7. It's Queen Esther, she went before King Xerxes, risked her own life, and she boldly asked for mercy and she asked for justice for her people. Or maybe somebody like Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 1.19, we'll see this. After Jeremiah has been pleading and grieving over the city of Jerusalem as the city of Jerusalem is just caving in, it's imploding because the sinfulness of that city and it's imploding. And yet Jeremiah is the lone person there declaring the truth of God. And this is what it says in Jeremiah 119. They will fight against you. This is what God says to Jeremiah. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you and will rescue you. Wow, what confidence. You know where that confidence came from? It didn't come from within himself. It isn't that he had enough heart. It was God says, I'm gonna do this for you. I'm gonna do this through you. I understand you're weak. I understand you don't have the words. I understand you're grieving. I understand the pain, but I also understand that I'm working in this situation. And he doesn't give Jeremiah an out and God isn't gonna give you an out either. We could look at Moses going back and forth with Pharaoh during the plagues. I mean, think how much confidence he had to have in the Lord going back and forth with Pharaoh, with all the plagues, all the plagues. And this is what it says in Exodus seven twenty. Moses did just as the Lord had commanded. And I've got so many more. I've, I'll share this one. And Noah, just imagine Noah building the ark right? Didn't even know what rain was. Building the ark. He's acting upon what God has said. He's living in obedience with what God has said. And now in the middle of this and the ridicule, surely ridiculed and harassed 
And all of these things that had been so confusing to other people. And yet this is what it says about Noah in Genesis 6, Noah did everything just as God had commanded him. They simply took God seriously. Look at me, please. You need to take God seriously. He is not a joke. He is not a yo-yo you can play with. He is an almighty, powerful, all-knowing, an omnipresent God who lives in Trinitarian form, the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Nothing escapes his knowing. Stop playing with God. Take his message seriously. Be confident. If you're a follower of Jesus, be confident that he's working in you and through you. Don't act ashamed. Or else you may be ashamed at his coming or you're meeting him face to face. And I want to close with this. Verse 29, it points to the word right. And I want to give you some other things that you can apply. Sorry to give you another list, but that's the reality. If you go to the left in your Bible, we're going to finish out this talk answering this question. What does this being right or what does this righteousness look like? What does this being right or this righteousness look like that John mentions in verse 29 of John chapter 2? It begins here. It begins with an attitude and belief that I've given up all self-effort. It begins with an attitude and belief that I have given up all self-effort to gain salvation. This is the beginning. But I trust solely in the cross of Christ for salvation and the lordship of Christ for my direction. This is the beginning. Now, I know some of you are writing this down or taking pictures, but I want you to look at me for a moment. I can give you this later. Some of you think and have lived under this, this belief that this is the end of your spiritual journey. This is just the beginning. Some of you, you, you received your fire insurance. Maybe you got baptized. You did that spiritual thing and you stopped. You haven't grown an inch and you've just stopped right where you are. And you thought that was the end. And you're like, take me home. Sadly, you believed a lie. That's just the beginning. That's just the beginning. Second Peter is going to show us that it's just the beginning. Second Peter 1, verse 5. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Notice that wording. To add to your faith. Which means faith started before. So add to your faith, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. This explains why some of you have been unproductive and ineffective in your walk with Jesus. This explains it. 
because you thought faith was the end. But faith is only the beginning. You see, when you have a certainty of faith, there's a boldness in your prayer life. There's a boldness in sharing the gospel. You can be that outspoken Christian. You can live unashamed, knowing that you're a child of God, that you're abiding in him, you're continuing in him. And when you do that, here's some things I know that will happen for sure. God will be glorified. Your life will turn out better and the world will be changed through you. See, that's what the gospel summarized. That's what Jesus came to do. Get glory, to get more glory, to do things for our good, to make us right with the Father, and also to change the world through us so that we can be confident, we can be bold in our speech, we can be clear in our affections for Jesus instead of settling for trifling happiness. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. I thank you for Jesus. Without Jesus, we have nothing. We came today to celebrate Jesus as we do every Sunday. This ministry, my life, is rooted upon the gospel. Every person who has the markers of a walk with you is also a person that should be clearly um, identified within their life as being for the gospel. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to accept and believe that we're your children, loved by you. Help us, Jesus, to abide in you, to continue in you. Help us, Jesus, to have the spiritual backbone so that we can be confident, even in the middle of opposition, so that you'd be glorified, that our lives could be benefited, and the world would be changed through us. Amen.